Hello, I'm Kevin Fernando, a GP partner at North Berwick Health Centre near Edinburgh and Education Director of GP Notebook Education. Welcome to our new GP Notebook podcast, a bite-sized regular chat for all of us working in primary care. Podcasts will cover clinical tips and hacks, as well as hot topics to help make our lives a wee bit easier, but ultimately to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. Today, we will be covering some tips and hacks on the diagnosis and management of gout. So, we have a 58-year-old gentleman who presents to duty surgery with a very sore and red left big toe. He's never had this before. He has a background of hypertension and is on lisinopril 20 milligrams and bendroflumethiazide 2.5 milligrams. And recent blood pressure was 137 over 84 millimeters of mercury. He works in marketing, he is a non-smoker, and he freely admits to you he enjoys liberal amounts of alcohol regularly. You examine his foot and you see clear evidence of podagra. Now, when I mentioned podagra to my wife, she looked at me blankly and said it was my Ponzi Edinburgh Medical School upbringing. She was an Aberdeen graduate. And unfortunately, she was right. The ancient Greeks referred to gout as podagra, which literally translated means foot trap. And it was their description of gout affecting the base of the big toe or the first MTP joint. So this case raises a number of questions for us in primary care. First of all, what do we offer this gentleman for his acute attack of gout? Secondly, what lifestyle advice should we offer this gentleman to minimize his future recurrences of gout? Next, when do we offer him urate-lowering therapy and what options are available? Next, what target serum uric acid should we aim for? And finally, should we review his medications also to prevent future recurrences of his gout? So our main resources here are updated gout guidelines published by the British Society of Rheumatology during 2017. And also some more recent articles published in the BMJ and Drugs and Therapeutics Bulletin during 2018. Now, gout is another condition that is increasing in prevalence, partly due to our aging population, increasing in incidence, and also increasing in severity. Yet it remains underdiagnosed and undermanaged by both us HCPs in primary care, but also by individuals suffering from gout. Gout's three to four times commoner in men and is actually the commonest inflammatory arthritis we see in primary care. It is caused by deposition of uric acid crystals in joints, leading to an intense inflammatory reaction. Uric acid crystals can also manifest as renal stones uh, and also gouty tophi in soft tissue, such as in the ears. And the first takeaway message for us all from uh, this updated gout guideline is there needs to be a change in thinking in how we approach gout in primary care, away from a troublesome, annoying, recurrent condition to a chronic inflammatory arthritis. Because even between those acute episodes of gout, you get ongoing crystal deposition leading to joint destruction, and the potential of long-term pain and disability. So I appreciate many of you will be very familiar with the management of gout. 
However, I took away several practice-changing messages from this guideline that have really changed the way I will manage gout in the future. So first question then, what do we offer Henry for his acute attack of gout? Well, first message, as we all know here, is that gout is a clinical diagnosis, okay? And an important differential to exclude is septic arthritis. Look, so look for the presence of systemic symptoms such as fever, uh, such as rigors. Now, importantly, uric acid levels often fall during an acute attack of gout, so it's of no diagnostic value. It's a clinical diagnosis. We need to treat acute attacks early, promptly. We need to advise rest, ice packs, elevation. And really our acute treatment choice should be guided by any comorbidities present, any current therapies, the renal function, and also, most importantly of all, what that individual wants. Current guidelines generally recommend first line, either full strength NSAID of your choice with or without PPI or cover or gastric protection or colchazine, 500 micrograms twice a day to four times a day, maximum dose for the course, six milligrams, so 12 doses in total. Now, importantly, if there is any renal impairment, if EGFR is under 50 in particular, we need to reduce the dose of colchazine or increase the dosage interval. Second line, guidance suggests, and certainly this is something I'm using more and more, is oral steroids. So, for example, prednisolone 30 to 35 milligrams once a day for three to five days. Oral steroids are very effective anti-inflammatory drugs. Or if you're feeling particularly brave, and personally I can't see this ending well, you can offer intra-articular steroid injection. Of course, this does require a very trusting patient and a very skillful HCP. We can also consider IM depot injections of steroid, for example, methylprednisolone, 80 to 120 milligrams. Next question, what lifestyle advice should we offer Henry? Well, the next big takeaway from this updated guidance is that everyone with gout should be given verbal and written information about the acute management of, of their gout, but also how to prevent future recurrences. Now, Arthritis Research UK, who have recently renamed themselves Versus Arthritis, have produced an excellent and pragmatic booklet on the management of gout for individuals who have suffered gout. Well worth having a read yourself or signposting individuals to this booklet. We need to counsel individuals about maintaining their weight uh, within recommended uh, BMI thresholds. We need to recommend reducing intake of high purine food. So, for example, red meats, seafood, oily fish, and marmite. And interestingly, the DASH diet can also help. Now, I spoke about the DASH diet in my hypertension podcast, Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. Um, it's a validated eating plan that uh, robustly reduced systolic blood pressure. And this has recently been shown in another study to low, also lower the risk of developing gout. So well worth signposting and discussing the DASH eating plan too. We also need to advise about maintaining adequate hydration, at least two and a half liters a day, especially to, to prevent the development of renal stones. 
And we should also counsel about maintaining alcohol intake within recommended limits. Now, it's a, a common misconception that it's the ports and the red wines that tend to increase the risk of gout. All alcohol can, but it tends to be the beers and spirits rather than the red wines and ports. So well worth discussing that too. And interesting on a historical note, and this is my... Uh, Fonsi Edinburgh Medical School upbringing again, a key non-alcoholic component of port um, as drunk in the Middle Ages were lead sugars, which were apparently used as sweeteners. Um, and this contributed to the development of gout by inducing a lead nephropathy. And then the final thing we need to consider here is cardiometabolic risk. Anyone who develops gout needs a full cardiometabolic assessment. Now, we're not quite there in the evidence base um, that gout is an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease, but there are many studies demonstrating a strong association. So, uh, for this gentleman in question, measure is 10-year cardiovascular risk using a, a risk calculator such as QRISC3 2018, and also perhaps go ahead and check an HbA1c to assess his risk of diabetes. Next question, when do we offer this gentleman urate-lowering therapy and what options are available? Well, this was the next big practice-changing message I took away from the, this updated gout guideline. We should discuss and offer urate-lowering therapy to all individuals with gout, even at the first attack. And that's because of this ongoing crystal deposition um, and potential for joint destruction and long-term pain and disability. And we should definitely offer urate-lowering therapy if the individual in question has had recurrent attacks, more than two attacks in 12 months, if there are gouty tophi uh, present, if there's a history of renal impairment, if EGFR is under 60, if there's a history of renal stones, if that individual is on diuretic therapy, which increases the risk of gout, or if they have primary gout starting at a young age, below the age of 40. So when should we offer this gentleman urate lowering therapy well urate lowering therapy is best delayed until the acute inflammation has settled and pain has settled so guidance generally suggests checking serum uric acid levels after around four to six weeks now importantly and helpfully if someone has an established diagnosis of gout and is already on allopurinol, we do not need to stop the allopurinol during acute attacks. Just continue it and treat the gout as we have just discussed. So in terms of urate-lowering therapy, first line, we should offer allopurinol, 100 to 900 milligrams daily. Um, but note and consult your current BNF, if EGFR is less than 60, we should markedly reduce doses of allopurinol. And a key message I'm taking away from my rheumatology colleagues here is we tend to underdose allopurinol in primary care. There's a lot of individuals languishing on 100 or a couple hundred milligrams of allopurinol. We should step up the dose full weekly by 100 milligrams guided by serum uric acid levels. Second line, we have a, a newer option called Feboxostat, 80 to 120 milligrams daily. And this option is actually safe to use in renal impairment. However, unfortunately, during July 2019, we had an MHRA drug safety alert warning us 
Uh, Phoboxostat is not recommended in those with background cardiovascular disease due to an increased risk of cardiovascular death and all-cause mortality. And finally, if we are going to offer urate-lowering therapy, we should offer prophylaxis um, with either colchicine low-dose, 500 micrograms once a day to, uh, to uh, twice a day, or a low-dose non-steroidal with gastric protension to prevent any acute gout or flare-ups. Uh, so uh, we can discuss that on an individual basis. Penultimate question then, what target serum uric acid should level should we aim for? Now, this was another practice-changing message for me. The updated BSR 2017 guidance suggests we treat a much tighter serum uric acid target of less than 300 micromoles per litre to prevent further crystal formation and perhaps even dissolve existing uric acid crystals. Uh, so well worth uh, looking at this new tighter target in your everyday clinical practice. And final question, should we review his medications? Remember, he's got a background of hypertension and he's on uh, lisinopril 20 milligrams and bendroflumethiazide 2.5 milligrams. We know diuretics can increase the risk of gout. So absolutely, we should consider switching his diuretic to an alternative class of antihypertensive. And interestingly, calcium channel blockers such as amlodipine and also the ARB losartan are better options as they have natural uricosuric properties and may help lower the risk of gout in the future. And finally, a quality improvement activity for us all to consider in primary care. The British Society of Rheumatology have produced a gout guideline audit tool, which you may want to complete uh, as, as a practice in whichever clinical setting you are in. And it asks us to consider such, such questions as, was the individual in question provided with written educational material about gout? Was the individual in question screened for significant comorbidities such as diabetes, hypertension, renal disease, and smoking? And finally, was the individual in question prescribed urate-lowering therapy even at first presentation? So thank you for listening all. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcasts, which are available on all major platforms. Get in touch via social media if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our 2020 GP Notebook Clinic events, launching 25th of February in Glasgow and touring across the UK. You can also download our free GP Notebook shortcuts to make our lives a wee bit easier, but ultimately to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. Mm -hmm.